G'day everyone, it's James Davis from the Pax8 Academy again. I've got Greg from Zen Contract. Thanks for joining me, Sharpie. Yeah, hey James, great to be here. Uh, good to be talking to you live from my kitchen in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, always nice to see your face. Well, I'm glad to get you on because I'm having a lot of conversations with people around contracts and it says it in the name, Zen Contract, but you've run a successful MSP before and I wanted to get your get your view on what best practice contract management is and I, I thought we'll just dive in and I'll ask you a tough question of what are you seeing out there in the industry of how the average technology business is managing contracts? The um, good question, the, the main theme is it's, uh, it's amazingly similar across the geographies that we're talking to people so whether that's you know UK, Ireland, Canada, USA, Australia, New Zealand, those are the main geographies that we're in, is that the typical MSP that might be, you know, we, we all banter around these figures, but let's go after a 10-person business that's looking after 40 clients. Uh, about 60% of their revenue is on any sort of client, any sort of contract at all, so that's obviously a gaping hole of 40%. Uh, there's many, many handshake agreements out there or legacy agreements that started off with a managed services agreement for X, Y, and Z services, but they're actually being supplied A, B, and C services, and it's evolved over time. So those aren't actually against a particular contract. Less than 40% are using any master services agreement sort of framework, so they're not segregating the general terms and conditions and uh, who's responsible for what and who gets remunerated for what way, all those types of things in a, in a master services agreement. You know, less than half are doing that. That's certainly best practice. And a lot of the smaller ones are running relatively unprotected or with no structure and, you know, not to use scaremongering tactics, but just really running the gauntlet based on everyone in the world is a, a, a nice and fair and reasonable person, uh, which unfortunately we all know is, is not the way. You can get away for, you know, and run a business for a period of time, but, you know, at some stage you're going to have to refer back to some type of rules of the game slash agreement slash contract and... Um, you know, certainly where Zen Contract was born out of is uh, to be able to bring proper contract process to the general MS, MSP or TSP and, and make sure that, you know, what's typically the high-end solutions, you know, we're providing that at a fraction of the price to provide 20-year best practice contract automation for the general MSP and bring it into their life, you know, to save a whole lot of time, mitigate huge amounts of risk. And, uh, and allow them to operate in a, in a total clarity and peace of mind sort of state. So that was uh, where the name Zen contract came from, because obviously you're operating in a bit more of a Zen state. And it was born out of our MSP. Um, you know, I had uh, Base 2, I started in 2009, sold it in 2021. 50-odd uh, people doing 12 mil and, and sold it for a 10x multiple, not only because of contract management and really good process that we had there, but it certainly was one of the main factors and uh, we thought we did put that into a software piece of software that we could share with the industry right down to uh, you know $50 a month for running all of your master services agreements or MSA so it's, it's incredibly low cost and wanted to get it out there to the market so that everyone could uh, operate in a protected way that was a particularly long-winded answer but there you go well it was good we got a 
got quite a good understanding of where the market's at. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, why, why is the market at what it's like? Why do, why do you think we're still working off handshake agreements? We've all been incredibly good at providing repeatable process and technology process to our clients for some time. So we've been evolving our technology stack, you know, right back from the beginning. So the RMM tools, uh, before that it was having ticketing systems which evolved into being called PSAs and then and then we had remote monitoring and management, you know, spearheaded by probably Kaseya in the early days and then SolarWinds and Able and a few other players. And, and we've always been looking at the technology and supplying the services of a technology. Traditionally, a lot of us in the MSP game were pretty crap at following up on getting money, you know? So um, we would supply the services, we would try and provide the best repeatable services that allowed for a really solid and stable technology platform along the way, James. So our services, our, our services we're providing to our customers allowed them to have stable technology so they could get on and build their business. And a lot of it started with us who were technologists that didn't necessarily have, you know, backgrounds in commercial law or commerce degrees or anything like that. You know, I, I have one, but, you know, I certainly didn't use it in my early days of supplying technology services. And so it's evolved over that time is that not many of us went to business school and so we don't know the benefits or the clarity that could come with having a solid contract infrastructure, much the same as in the early days, not many of us could pull apart a, a profit and loss in a balance sheet and discuss the benefits of shifting money from one place to the next or depreciating assets and all those types of things. So, so this is an evolution of the maturity of our industry as a whole. The general MSP is getting a little bit more mature. And we probably got delayed for three years with COVID getting in the way, um, where we had to rush everyone to work from home and then bring them back again. And you know, So where I think the technology stack that we use to provide our external services has matured dramatically over the last 10 years, we're only just starting to mature the technology stack of what we use to run our businesses internally. And so that's why we are still um, operating in a not so mature way, I guess, when it comes to contracts and stuff. Across the board, there is outliers at either end. You know, I've come, we've come across MSPs that are incredibly mature and they just use our solution to be able to uh, turn it into a repeatable process and one with governance and controls. And then we have MSPs that have no infrastructure as far as contracts at all and they'll use our templates and get going, you know, straight out of the bat. But I think that's it in the long and the short is, is that, you know, people are starting to get comfortable with the fact that we have matured our external facing technology stack, notwithstanding the security side of things, which is ever evolving, of course. Uh, but we're now looking internally as we are all getting a little bit older and wiser and, and, you know, maybe potentially grooming our businesses for a sale. But before it's even a sale, it's just operating in a operationally mature way so that we can actually run the best business, make the most profit, groom it for a good sale later on, uh, and, and all of those positive benefits that come with that. Hmm. So keeping that in mind, that's, that's exactly what I'm seeing as well, is that, um, that maturing of the operations, the potential um, valuations for exit and sale. There's a lot going on. We've been, been around as an industry for about 20 years. 
why why do we want to contract? Like what 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 is it doing for us? If we if we're not quite there yet with our awareness and going, actually, I need to do something with my contracts. Um, why why do we need them? So, a basic response to that is it sets up the rules of the game. So it's one of those foundational building blocks that says it's a reference point. So if I'm supplying you services and you're supplying me some money for those services, uh, it sets the rules of the game up as exactly how that flow goes. And, and so in the first way, the first direction, I'm supplying you services. What services am I supplying you? How well should I be supplying them? Obviously, what's the service level agreement? So we need to have that sort of set up in there. And you know what? There's the odd occasion where we don't supply such great services or we could have done better. And so you need to provide a framework for the customer to be able to sit down and have a chat with you that you haven't done it right. right? And vice versa, they might miss a payment. So what, what happens when that scenario comes into play? Do we start to apply an interest rate or um, if they go past but you know, X, Y, and Z gates, what is the systems that should follow? And so it's clarity of your business engagement because otherwise what you've got is an implication of how each party interprets the agreement that you have because there is still a social agreement, right? Those were what they call a social contract. Um, as soon as you start providing services and receive a payment, then there is an implied contract. But if you want to set the rules of the game up of exactly how you might escalate in a particular scenario, that's the benefits of the contract. It comes down to clarity and not second guessing or or assuming what the other party is is um, implying from these services and stuff. And that's usually where relationships break down. When when one of these, it, over a period of time, we all know that something goes slightly wrong with a a service level or a method of payment or. Um, it might be that someone speaks to someone rudely, all, all those types of things. And so the, the contract sets out all of those rules of the engagement. And then each service might have specific uh, overriding conditions that go with that. You know, you know, because when you start supplying a high-end security solution, then there's certain um, legal ramifications and implications that go with that service over and above your general terms and conditions and, and uh, master services agreement. So, but I think the main thing that you're really getting there is 100%, you're getting a balanced who's supplying what, who's paying for what uh, arrangement. One that's in, enduring, it will actually last a long time because you know it's not gonna fall over. If, if something goes wrong, then there's a set of uh, rules and conditions as to how you go about resolving that conflict. And then anything that's over and above that for extra services, you know, there's, there's um, rules and conditions that go with those things. So, but clarity's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with that because what I see often is um, people starting to go on this journey of doing contracts. They'll go, onto the, they'll go onto the various forums. They'll grab heaps of different people's contracts and they'll just hodgepodge it together but they don't end up with the clarity that you just explained. They, they haven't gone through this journey to understand what they're delivering, what the expectations are, what all the mechanisms are. They're just, they're just viewing the contract as something to sign because it will protect them and they don't really understand the ins and outs of it. So from your perspective, sorry, you go. There's certain elements, I think, sorry to chop you off. There's certain elements there that, that are an agreement in whatever shape or form should be, and it should be easy to read. 
Right, and I think a lot of what we as an industry have shied away from is forcing our customers to read a really wordy, lengthy legal document that we've either hodgepodge from someone else or got from our lawyers or whatever. And, and I'm not, I'm not anti-lawyers, but you know, we all know they've been pretty good at making things remarkably complicated. And so an agreement that is incredibly easy to read, it sets out very clearly who's responsible for what. And um, I know I'm, I'm going to be telling the listeners here to, to um, you know, go after some of the resources, but on, on our website, zencontract.com, there is a resources area and there is a number of e-books there. One actually sets up the easiest way to create uh, and what should be in a master services agreement and the different types of contracts. And obviously you can download uh, you know, free templates and things, but ultimately that's where it should be and, and what it hasn't been in the past is a document that sets out who's responsible for what, what services are being supplied, what happens if something goes wrong, how do we get paid, and the general terms and conditions, which are typically contract law for your geography, right? The terms and conditions are going to be different when you're operating in New South Wales than they are in uh, Louisiana and maybe Alberta. And so that one section of a six-section document uh, will be pertinent to how laws are interpreted in your particular region. But even that should only be one, you know. If you were to go on to ChatGBT right now, James, and say, please write me a terms and conditions for operating an IT services business in New South Wales, Australia, it'll write you two pages, and then the last line will say, all of this agreement is governed by the rules of operating a business under New South Wales general area, right? And that's pretty much the same line that you're going to get in Alberta and Auckland, New Zealand, and, and various different uh, interpretations, you know, from Louisiana to, to New Orleans to New York. But um, they don't need to be complicated. And typically, agreements and contracts have been really complicated. The templates that you get in Zen Contract are so easy to read. It's, uh, it's, it's a number of tables and um, and, and simple language, just because we wanted to take some of the wordiness and legalese and everything that potentially none of us have an understanding of, and maybe our clients don't either. Um, there's an element in the legal industry, maybe like there was in the IT industry in the, in the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s, where, where, where there's mystery, there's money. And, um, and part of our mission is to really simplify that engagement for the MSP and their clients, so you get that clarity that you're after. Uh, a lot of that has not been there in the past. Yeah, what I'm taking away from what you're describing is you as the owner need to have clarity on what you're delivering, who's responsible for it, and when it needs to be delivered, and what are the mechanisms to it. And I think we've, we've shied away a lot of the time from understanding that detail, and that probably goes back to your point around the um, business maturity and, and where our mindsets are at uh, operationally. It's very technology focused, not process focused. In the first five years, and, and you would have seen this too because you were running a business at the time, and, and I've been doing MSP now for what, near on 25 years, is where the biggest set of discrepancy and tension in the early arrangements with our customers was all what's included and what's not included. Right? What's in, what's out. And the implication from the customer is that everything was included. And from us, we wanted to minimise what was included because otherwise we'd be working, you know, for 14 cents an hour, which we didn't want to do. And so this, having the clarity there, and, and you know, 
as we've evolved and matured, so have our clients. Their understanding of what a fixed fee arrangement is and, and what's fair and reasonable has all got a lot more mature. And typically we're dealing with larger businesses, not necessarily principals or owners who just want everything done for, for free or, or for the included price. And um, we're incredibly passionate about it and it was all quite hard and frustrating for us. Nowadays, you're typically working with uh, maybe a CFO or still a principal, but the principal realises that there's only so much that can be done for that fixed price. But this sets out clearly what's in, what's out. There's another le level of clarity. And it's something that you can refer to. So when they receive a bill for some project work, they can't come back to you immediately and go, hey, I thought this included in my $3,000 a month. You know, well, if you refer to the contract portal, because you know, if you have one with us or someone else, then it's easy for them to see it. You know, you can look under clause six, it says uh, that that project stuff's not included. So that's why I've sent you a bill. And then it's fine. Everyone gets on with business and, and the relationship's still healthy. But when you have to stand there and defend yourself all the time, because there's no infrastructure or contract to be able to refer to, no, no level of clarity, then it becomes an argument and the relationship starts to break down. So yeah, that clarity and having that contract there to refer to actually endures that relationship, allows it and gives it framework for you to go uh, and, and on and on and, and have some money change hands in fair and reasonable way. So once a, once a sort of owner gets in that mindset and they're starting to build out that clarity and they're, they're building out their contracts, what, what are the, from your experience, what is that? process to convert your client base that are used to handshake agreements actually onto this more uh, mature way of operating? Yeah, so the journey that we take, uh, we take customers on or the way that I see it working is that we actually have um, like a compliance module, but it will help them in, in one or two ways, right? So one is it's a really easy way to get notification out to all of your customers that you're going through a contract maturation process. And without making it long and wordy, you just put in, you know, it's, it's a predefined email, but it's got three bullet points in there, is that we're getting clarity for both parties. We are making sure that it's referenceable and easy to see if it's in the future we ever need to look back at our agreement and how we do business together. And it's going to allow us to have the opportunity to do... Um, you know, some fixed price agreements. If you want to lock in your price now for a longer period of time, then we can avoid any price increases and, and we want to provide that value to you because you've been there for a long time. So the main thing is notifying them it's coming, giving them the opportunity to benefit from it, and that it's better for them as well as it is for you. You know, so that's what we're trying to convey. So that, that contract maturation process, it doesn't mean that they're going to get, and you want to make it really clear in this email, we, we always guide our people, is that we don't, we're telling them that prices are not going up. This is not a pricing discussion. All we're doing is getting a piece of paper signed by both parties, digital paper that says this is how we uh, operate and integrate together. And we provide these services, you pay us this money, all of those standard things. And what used to be a significant uh, logistical nightmare as far as all of the admin and paperwork and stuff, you know, if you've got decent software, it's do it once, it's templated, you send it to everyone, it manages the process of getting the signatures and storing it in the right place and it, it's, it's nice and easy and simple. And we start off with a master services agreement that's not, got no pricing information in it at all. It's just, uh, you know, who does what, 
what the service level agreement is, how do we get paid, is it on the first of the month, whatever, you know, sets out those terms and conditions and just sets it up there. And you might get, you know, if you've got 100 customers, you might get four or five that go, oh, really, do I have to do this? I thought we were good. It's just a little bit of extra level. And you might have to explain it to them that the benefits to them are equally as beneficial as it is to, to you as a business. And if they were to ever try and pass an audit, you know, they, they would want to know that their technology supplier has actually got this type of level of maturity. It's a benefit of a benefit thing. But yes, you're going to have to do it for two or three people. The positive benefits of the MSP, your business is worth twice as much. Overnight. Just overnight. You know, if you ever look to sell, you are more protected. Um, you know, if one of those clients got hacked and they came back to, at you and you had in your master services agreement that you were not liable for any negligence to do with a cyber security event, then you're not going to be prosecuted. You know, they, they can't come after you. So that type of level of protection is definitely there. So we start off with notify your clients, get the MSA out there, use the software to start to provide a service schedule that knows about the start date of a contract, the end date of a contract, and then you can start to manage the term when, when expiries come up. And that the benefits of that, James, is that you're getting notified in advance to either your salespeople or to yourself as to what's expired, what's currently expired or what's expiring this week, this quarter, this month, uh, not in that order. And then you can go and have discussions with them about cross-sell, upsell, pricing discussions. It's about 70% more likely to be able to get the outcome that you want than if you're doing it ahead of the expiry date as opposed to after the expiry date. So that's why notifying and understanding the end date and the term and everything uh, is a lot more efficient. And that's, uh, I mean, that's where it was born out of. We, we, we mapped out in 2018 this lack of process for us in our base two MSP. And it started off with me having to write all the proposals. I wanted to get faster at that. And then I was like, well, proposals are not really the main problem. It's more because they're quite templatable. More the contracts and understanding uh, when these things are going to expire and making sure the level of protection is there, making sure that we can easily identify who has an MSA, who signed it, and are we actually operating in a level of business interaction that's protected by you know, that foundational document. Um, and so we, we mapped out all of the things that it would be great to have this software do, and, and we started off with a first version, and some of the listeners who listened to this would have seen it, and it was suitably terrible. Um, and we just worked away at making it a bit, bit better and a bit better, kind of like an ice carving over a course of an evening and chipped away a bit there and got it a bit better, a bit more refined. And so, you know, regardless of whether people want to buy it or not, it's, it's more of a case of having a system uh, and implementing that system and having it, the repeatable processes in there frees you up to do so many other things and you know that you've got uh, a level of protection around you from making sure those MSAs are signed and your service schedules are, uh, are on term and you know when the renewals are coming up. You know, you just get so much more slick at operating your business. You're not missing the opportunities. Contracts aren't expiring. Sometimes contracts expire and then people stop billing and you don't see it for four or five months and you're not receiving that money and then you've got to go back and get that money and the guy goes, well, I wouldn't mind a discount. And so you're losing money, right? So... Um, yeah, all of those things. I think um, I think the way that you framed up the um, notification to the to the clients is it's an operational 
um, maturity step that you're taking is a big one. I think a lot of owners are afraid to say that we're, we weren't doing it that well in the past. Now, now we're going to do it that well and have a conversation around, to their clients about it. So I think that sort of viewpoint and just owning it, I've seen time and time again, the clients appreciate it. The clients appreciate that you're doing, you're, you are evolving your business, you are making, doing it better. So I think that's yeah. a very good point of yours. That would be the biggest thing from, uh, if someone's listening to this, is to be comfortable in the fact that your clients are going to be more appreciative of receiving a notification from you that you're going through a contract maturation process or you're going to go, you know, mature your contract process, however you'd like to verbalise it, they will revel in the fact that they're receiving that from you because they want to know that they're dealing with a technology business that is growing and evolving and improving. Um, No one will ever receive a complaint. None of our customers have ever received a complaint from anyone. Even the the oldest, longest handshake agreements have all come back to them and said, hey, and it makes sense. Yeah, we'll get that signed straight away. Um, so there's no real downside to it. Very different if you want to attack it with, hey, we're going to be sending out some pricing increases. That is not what I'm talking about. That can come later, but to, to, to get a framework to start with an MSA with no pricing involved, that'll, that'll never get any complaints at all. Um, yeah, it, for sure. I think in this, this day and age as well, like it's a legitimate reason to... Even if you do have a bit of pushback on people around the um, the maturity steps that you're taking, is well, insurance is requiring this from both sides more and more. If the if um, MSPs don't have a contract that's impacting their premium, or they're at risk of not getting insured, and same on the other side for the clients, their their cybersecurity policies and that are looking for mature providers. So th- there is a external force as well that we can leverage to say, yeah, we need to go about this. This is what the trigger point has been for us to, to start protecting both our risks in a, in a, in a contractual manner. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So there's um, two aspects to this. One is that you can quite within your rights, so if you can easily display to your insurance underwriter that you have proper contract management and proper policy um, management with you know, managing all of your end customers to make sure they've seen and signed and agree with your cybersecurity policy that you might be doing on behalf of your client. Then you can ask for a discount on your premiums for you being underwritten because you've got proper infrastructure in place. Much the same as we have received, you know, if, you, if you're following a particular IT security stack, you know, Kaseya brought to the market that if you're using all of their stack, then you're instantly underwritten for $1.5 million of insurance. But so we, we don't have that same agreement, but we're certainly seeing that where underwriters will go, okay, well, you seem like a mature business, so we're actually going to frame you in a different level of actuary risk. So therefore, we're going to provide your insurance underwriting to you at a slightly lower premium. And that, uh, again, is just logical, because if you're an insurance underwriter, you want to insure a more mature business that has better process, they're going to be slightly less risk than someone that's running with no contract infrastructure. And, and you know, if there's a, an issue, then they're more likely to get sued. So therefore, they should be paying more for their insurance. Uh, much the same as your life insurance, you're going to pay more if you're 75 uh, than you're if you're 25, because you're closer to the end of the road. So it's just life and numbers, really, isn't it? 
but um, getting the benefits, there's a lot of benefits that come with uh, good contract infrastructure. Peace of mind's a really big one too. You, um, I certainly know that in the MSPs that I sit on the board of, uh, it's one of the first things that, uh, that we have a look at, obviously because I've got expertise in it, but um, to make sure that all of their contracts and everything are up to date and that they've got complete clarity about how much revenue there is, uh, the profitability of each of those contracts, how much time has been spent against them, and when are they up for renewal, and do they buy all of the nine product lines that we have, or just four? So we've got to look at the white space variation there too. So. Going along these lines around like the sort of sales side, you mentioned earlier around like the termed contracts. What are you seeing most people do, and how how would you get people to view view it? Because most people, again, it's going back to that handshake agreement. It's all we're all proud to do month to month arrangements and no lock ins and and that kind of thing. What's your view on it, and what's the market looking like? Yeah, so I look, a lot of people, and certainly. ConnectWise made this ever available because they had the ability to have evergreen. You know, there was a flick of a button and you could make sure that there was no end term on the contract. And that came from the fact that even in the early days of ConnectWise, still happens in Autotask, that a contract will get to the end of its term and it stops billing. We all jump. Go, oh my God, it stops billing. So there was a button, a radio button that says, you know, no, no end date. So it just means it goes on and on and on. So that is where a lot of people are still operating, right? And so on the Autotask side, what we see is that people have set the end date in the contracts to be 2099. And the downside of not having the end, or sorry, the term of the agreement, regardless of whether you've got any lock-in or not, is that you're missing the opportunity to go and have a repricing discussion and a cross-sell and an upsell. So there's the downside. Um, You've got the, you're missing the opportunity to provide one, two or three year term and potentially lock in long term revenue, but maybe at a slightly discounted rate. And that's building long term tenure where you've got a base contract so you can speak to them about providing other and more services. Um, but to answer your question, what we're typically seeing is either one year contracts, the more mature businesses are going two and three many customers are still going month to month to month to month to month and they're really just using the contract module in their PSA as a billing mechanism. Not really as any sort of business interaction, which is an actual fact what, you know, what they are. The benefits of having a start date and an end date, like I just said, is that you um, get reminded, you understand that you can go and have a discussion with them. Um, a really good example of who does it properly and properly well is that when we buy a mobile phone, we buy that with a term contract, and typically it'll come with a, t a telephone. Unsurprisingly, that telephone's usually good for two or three years, and then uh, you know that's, that's sort of your reminder to be able to go and um, change it. But they will lock your your plan in on a particular level for that term of contract, and then they have the opportunity to do a repricing discussion. Now that's what we're doing. In, in MSP world, but we're missing out on that opportunity of having a repricing. Many of our customers, and I think if we're all honest with ourselves, signed up a customer with, let's say it's 20 users at $100 per user or whatever, and that's all we're charging them. Now, we, they might be at 28 users now, so we're charging them for more, more money, 
but that's only on a per person pro rata basis. You know, we're actually doing a lot more and things have increased um, significantly and we've, we've not really had the opportunity to sit down and have a pricing discussion. Whereas if we put them on a one year term, this is the price you're getting for one year, might lock it in slightly lower for two years, then obviously you're having a discussion with them and you're more likely to be able to adjust CPI to all of the inflation that we've had. Uh, I'm not sure if you checked on the last time the price of cheese, James, but it's pretty damn expensive. And so uh, you know, might want to make sure that all your services are priced correctly. Well, it, it's a very good point because I, I go around, I talk to a lot of people, and when I ask people when the, how, how long it's been since they've risen their prices, it's generally a long, very long time. It's for yeah. a lot of a lot of the industry it was just before COVID. It's a long yeah. time ago now. That's it. And then maybe um, the smart ones would have gone and raised them but applied a discount after COVID. That's what, what we did. Um, and I'm not just saying, you know, not crowing from the top of the roof nest. But the beauty of that is what you're doing as a setting expectation is that prices should go up. But because of COVID, we're keeping them here. But that provides a framework for you to quite easily nowadays go, hey, COVID's pretty much done. We're going we're to jump it up to here. And everyone's like, yeah, thanks for the break. Because you're actually taking the win early. It's just managing the social expectation. Um, yeah. the, so the, the contract, the side of this discussion is not about going and, and uh, raising your prices, right? So that should be a, an outcome of managing your contracts over time. Uh, the same methodology would apply, James, if you are going to raise your prices, is at least two weeks before you're doing anything, you would send out of a notification, much the same as Sky TV and your mobile phone people, whatever, they, they will just let you know that there is a price yep. change happening. Yep. And you explain exactly what that's going to be for what, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons. And everyone reads the letter, they go, ah, oh, damn it. But that's fair enough, because I've just sent out my letter to everyone else saying that I'm going to do the same thing. But I think given the notification, getting a letter saying your prices has gone up, that's the last thing you want to do, all right? That's the, the antithesis of anything you ever want to do. Uh, just let them know in advance is mm. a good sense, yeah. I, I think that's, that's some great wisdom to, to share because I think everyone creates that um, price rise is a much bigger deal than it is. Every time I coach someone through, it's like, oh, I'm afraid, they'll say no, they'll say no. Then they just go and do it. And they do the notification, they push out that 5 or 7% price rise, and then they get like two or three questions back and no one's blinked an eyelid. So, No, and you know, you, you know as well as I do what that means. You're doing the same work for no incremental cost and you're getting 5 to 7% that goes directly to your EBIT figure, directly. I mean, if you haven't done it for three years, then I'd strongly urge any listener to actually sit down and go, I'm going to put that through my mill and figure out how I can do that. You might have some grandfather contracts in there that you need to exclude, and so it might end up being an average 4.5% or something across the business, but it's one of the things I miss about not having an MSP anymore. I wish I, wish I could actually still go and do that. That was, that was good. <laughs> well, you, you've shared a lot of good perspective today, Greg. Um, oh, we could talk about this a lot, and this is a very deep topic. What would you want people that have been listening today if they ha what what are the next actions that they need to take and what's the big takeaway that you want them to, to walk away from? So uh, the biggest thing is to just contracts and getting involved in a decent contract process does not have to be scary. 
All right, it, it's a lot more simple than you think. It's a lot easier to operate and integrate and everything than setting up a PSA. It is you know, one fifth of the experience or one fiftieth of the experience of, of like, you know, getting involved in an MSA. Um, you know, for as little as 50 bucks a month, you can get a full MSA management process from zencontract.com. That's a great place to start. It's super easy and it will double the value of business and give you all the protection and the peace of mind that, that you need, right? So that, that would be my big takeaway from here. Whether you use our solution or, or someone else's, um, think about maturing your contract process to evolve your business, get peace of mind, uh, more operationally efficient. You know, there are a lot of acronyms you can just throw out there, but. I think then the, the whole contract process is not as scary as it used to be. We're all going to have to do it at some stage. Um, the benefits that come with getting involved and, getting, and doing it early are significant and, uh, and for, for a really small amount of money, it's worthwhile taking a look. Well, that's awesome, Greg. And I'll, I'll leave with a final thought that if you don't actually take the steps to mature your, your operations and things like your contracts and your offerings, People are going to, your clients are actually going to churn out. I'm already starting to see that because they're hearing from other, their other advisors like lawyers and insurance brokers, accountants, that they need to work with more mature technology providers. And it's happening. And, and Microsoft is seeing more churn of partner records in M365 than they ever have since um, Office 365 and M365 has existed. So this is part of that maturing journey and showing that you're trying to step up to the next level for your clients. So it's been, been a great chat, Greg. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, hopefully people have gotten a lot out of this today. Cool. Thanks for having me on, James. Always good to see you. Um, and, you know, love, love all of the good stuff that Pax8 in general is doing for the industry. You know, we're really trying to do our bit just in that sort of, uh, in that lane of contracts and, and um, uh, enjoyed the chat. Thanks very much. Thanks for, thanks for joining me.